Now it's time to cut through the clutter and noise with one of the South's most recognized voices. Just saying. This is Just Saying with Jason Scarborough. Jason, what's up, brother? You may not always agree with him, but he's just saying. Now let's get to it with the man, the myth, the legend. Well, most days. Here's Jason Scarborough. All right, off we go here with Just Saying, episode one. You guys have been waiting. You guys have been on me for a long time about doing this, and so it's here. All of you folks out there have been talking about, hey, all the things you talk about on your Facebook Live and all the conversations that we have and group messenger and the things we talk about sitting around the fire. And you guys have been on me for a long time to do something like this where we just talk about everything. It's not going to be just a sports podcast. You never know who's going to drop by. Just just wait until you see who's going to drop by later on in the show. So in order for me to do a show like this, don't you guys think that I need all the help I can get, right? I mean, we all need a little help. Lord knows I need all the help I can get. So I brought in a friend. Blair Buys is joining us from, you're in Hattiesburg right now, right? Yes, I am. So you're going to you're gonna be a regular on this show. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm fine with that. Are you good with that? Okay, good. So when Blair and I talked a few nights ago, I told her, I said, hey, Look, I got to have a sidekick. I got to have somebody that can keep me in between the ditches because sometimes I'll get off the rails a little bit. And uh, somebody that, yeah, I can get off the rails a little bit. So I need somebody to kind of, hey, let's let's get back on topic here. So Blair has volunteered, God bless her, to uh, jump on Just Saying Weekly until she gets tired of me. So welcome to the show, Blair. I'm glad that you are partaking in this new adventure. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be really fun. So let's, you and I, give a little background. So when we did Friday Night End Zone, Blair would keep me updated on the Oak Grove football games, Oak Grove High School here in Mississippi. And yep. so Oak, she would keep me updated on Oak Grove, what all was going on. She was kind of my Oak Grove insider. I think I can say that now. You're graduated. So she would kind of keep me yeah, in the Yeah, now you can say that? Yeah. A few years ago, <laughs> I don't think the AD would have liked that very much, but we're good now. <laughs> we're good now. I don't think there can be any kind of ramifications or anything now. So so Blair would keep me up to date on, on Oak Grove. We've always stayed in touch. She's a big sports fan. Love her takes. Uh, she's very outspoken, so I said she would fit perfectly here on Just Saying, where we're going to talk about sports, entertainment, matters of faith. We'll even talk a little weather every now and then. You might want to pay attention later on to what I mean by that. So I want to start off talking a little college football. So the Kiffin and Leach, that whole that whole deal there, that dynamic with Kiffin being at Ole Miss and Leach being at Mississippi State, how did you react? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. So I started keeping up with Mike Leach when he was at Washington State and Gardner Minshew was playing there. I know Gardner. Um, he played at Brandon when I went to Oak Grove. Brandon and Oak Grove pretty much hate each other. So. I knew who he was for that. And so when he was at Washington State, he was getting all this publicity and everybody was talking about him. I was like, okay, well, I'll watch. And fell in love with Mike Leach. I think he is hilarious. He really doesn't care what you think about him. He's going to say whatever he wants. has no filter. So I love Mike Leach. I think he is hilarious. And so I really, really liked watching him coach at Washington State. Lane Kiffin, I think he's, I think they're almost kind of, maybe not the same personality, but I don't think either of them really care what you think about them. They're mm-hmm. going to say what they want to say. 
And whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter to them. So I really like, this is, this is the problem with me. I really like Mike Lee and I really, really like Lane Kiffin. I'm telling this girl. So it doesn't really matter to me either way, which one has a better season, which one doesn't. But it's very, very hard for me to pick one. Like I can't, Mike Lee is great. My cousin plays football at Mississippi State. My dad went to Mississippi State. My um, other cousin, the brother of my cousin at Mississippi State, played football at Ole Miss. My uncle played baseball at Ole Miss. My mom's parents are Ole Miss fans. So I really can't pick a favorite here. But I think now Mississippi has two of the best college football coaches in the country right here in Mississippi. And I think it's awesome. That conference schedule for both teams, who, you know, it, it's literally going to be the toughest schedule that that either team has had. I would go no out, doubt. I would go out on a limb, Blair, and say it's got to be the toughest schedule that that they've had in their in their school's history because it's all conference oh, no games. Doubt. There's no cupcakes, and I hate to refer to them that way. No disrespect, but there's no warm up there. Zero warm up. You're going right into tough games. I mean, Ole Miss opens with Florida, and you know they're going to be in the top ten. And then Mississippi right. State goes to Death Valley. Yes, Mississippi, or I'm sorry, LSU lost a bunch, coaches and players, but they're still LSU, and that's still Death Valley. So, e, that's that's tough. Right. And, you know, I do think something that might help Mississippi State playing at Death Valley is they only have 25 percent capacity. Yeah. Playing in yeah. Death Valley with it packed on Saturday night. I mean, it's very hard for anybody to win there. But having 25% capacity, everybody spread out, be a little bit easier, but it's going to take a lot for Mississippi State to pull off a win against the reigning national champions. All right, so we said we're going to discuss all topics here, right? I mean, that's that's what we I said, right? So. <laughs> that's what we said. So <laughs> we talked about this a little bit the, the other night when, when we were talking about Blair joining the show with us. And I told her we would talk about everything. And I think there's the consensus that your friends may come to you with relational issues. I know that I've got this sign written on my forehead with male friends and female friends that whether it's a problem with their boss problem with their significant other whatever it is for some reason they feel like i can fix it and i, and I look at them I'm like are you i can't fix that so we were talking about how we'll discuss some of these issues and i was talking to a friend of mine the other night and she was telling me you're not going to believe here's what makes it hard jason she said dating in the social media age is nearly impossible and I said, was well, it because everyone, you know, Facebook is called fake book. Instagram's called some other things I can't say. Is that why? And she said, no, it's the direct message, the DMs that have destroyed dating or any sense of real connection between the, the opposite sexes. It, it, it just destroys it because no one, everyone's offensive. They're not real. And I said, what's the craziest DM you've ever gotten? And she sent me like five or six. And I was like, there's no way this dude said this. She's like, oh, yeah, there is. I'm like, maybe maybe it's a made-up account. She's like, oh, no, no. So I thought, why don't I just ask my co-host what's the craziest DMs that she's gotten? You agreed to this. <laughs> you don't, You can back out if you want to. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've dug myself a hole. <laughs> And obviously, you know, so I'm you know. an book. I'm, I'm fine. Well, here's the thing. She's right. Dating in the social media world is 
terrible. Snapchat, don't even get me started on that. It is disgusting. Mm -hmm. I do not use it very much at all. I think it's terrible. But, I mean, you really can't get DMs on Snapchat unless you're friends with them. But the stuff that I have received on Instagram and Twitter, sometimes even Facebook. I don't know how these people find my Facebook, but they do. Um, It's cringeworthy. I guess some of it's disgusting. Some of it's like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) And the other ones, I'm just like, ew. So, gosh, do I have some stories. What is the craziest I mean, that, that you can say that's semi-PG or PG-13. I can't believe I just said that. Man, I'm old. Um, well, there's two different times. So, like you said earlier, I'm very outspoken, opinionated, and I might pull a little Mike Lee to Lane Kiffin every now and then and just really not care what you think. Not, not you. If you agree with me or not, I'm going to no, say it. Not you. Oh, yeah, me. Yeah, me. And so um, people don't really like sometimes when I'm very vocal on Twitter, which I backed off a bit after I kept getting these DMs telling me basically to (laughs) kill myself because they didn't agree with me. Or, um, oh, yeah, I had a girl message me on Twitter and she said, Dear God, I hope you never get pregnant. If you do, please abort that poor child. You would be a terrible mother. Good Lord. I said, girl, just because you do not agree with me does not mean you have to come for me or my future children. That is just ridiculous. But on another note, I really do. I get a lot of messages from men that are very creepy, very cringeworthy. I have a few of them if you would like to hear them. Sure. Oh, this one's funny, actually. This guy messaged me after he um, didn't like what I was saying about my opinions on Twitter. And he said, hey, I work for the Fox News Network. We've been looking to hire new blondes with one brain cell. We love Tommy Lawrence, but quite frankly, she's just not as dumb as you are. We would love for you to come by and drop an application off. Application off. All that's required is internal misogyny. And honey, you got it. What? Yes, this guy's bio says I smell a rat. Please don't tell me it's a blue check mark. No, absolutely not. Okay. I was like, first off, Tommy Lauren is awesome. Second off, I have more than one brain cell. Excuse me. So when I read that, I just laughed. It didn't offend me. I just thought it was really funny. It was very clever the way he worded it, too. But I was like, (laughs) okay, that's cool. But there's this one guy who will message me. He'll slide up on all my Instagram stories and he'll do hard eyes or say you're beautiful or whatever and i'm looking at his profile picture with his girlfriend and he's private now but at one point he was public and he has posted all these pictures of him with his little girlfriend who's adorable but he keeps sliding up or messaging me on instagram no joke i bet it's at least once a week he has a girlfriend it's obvious telling me how beautiful i am and hard eyes and you're gorgeous or I would love to take you out, stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, do you think I cannot tell that you have a girlfriend? Like, you're disgusting. Have you ever called somebody out that, that sent you a DM like that where it's it's clear that they're they're low down, they're creepy? Oh, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I have an ex-boyfriend who will try to reach out to me, and my parents are not having that, obviously. Me either. You. But he will reach out to me. The other day he tried to 
after he had posted a picture with his new girlfriend. And I said, I'm sorry, but don't you think it's a little disrespectful to be reaching out to me while you have a girlfriend? And he was like, sorry, just checking in. I was like, no, you were not. That's complete BS. That is ridiculous. You are a pig. He's testing the water to see if... if I just call them out every now and then. (laughs) You just called him out on a podcast that's going to be up on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, you know, TuneIn Radio. No big deal. Yeah, well, hopefully he won't do that. But if he does, (laughs) dude, stop it. It's all good. You know, what is it with these guys that think, like, is there ever a DM that that you've gotten where you go, okay, all right, they're they're trying. You do the golf clap. Good try. This is, this is really funny that you just said that because I have another DM pulled up and I'm not going to name names. This guy's verified and he is a musician. We'll say that. And I posted one of his new songs on my Instagram story and tagged him in. I said it's my new favorite or something like that. Um, obviously, he's been in a relationship for years and I thought he was engaged. I guess not. Well, he responded to me and he said, you're my new fave too. Thank you. I said, wow, I'm so flattered or something like that. And I said, I thought I was always your face. Just messing with the guy. Just wanted to see what he would say since he has a girlfriend. He said, I mean, you've always been right there near the top. Don't get me wrong. Dot, 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 LOL. I was like, you are flirting with me on social media and you have, you literally live with your girlfriend. It's ridiculous. All right. So I'm going to switch gears on you. How excited are you about our our first guest? You want to let the cat out of the bag who our first guest is? You want me to? I yeah. Will. I, I think you should. Right. I think you should do the honors. Okay. Okay. Well, the first guest on this podcast is someone that I have looked up to a lot. I'm a big, big weather nerd. I don't know why. I think part of it is because I'm from South Mississippi, so we get everything. It's crazy here. But this guy is very, very famous and known for being in the heart of crazy storms and it's exciting when he's in your hometown but it's also very very frightening so you don't really want him to come around but he's really cool i am excited to say that the first guest is jim cantori from the weather channel how cool is that i'm so excited you were worried about being on the podcast and wondering if you could you know if you could you know make a contribution if you're going to ask the right questions and right off the bat you're like hey yo I'm going to get Jim Cantori. I'm like, what? Okay. I mean, she's. And he did not. Okay. Hold on, listeners. And he did not believe that I could get Jim Cantori on the I really podcast. Didn't. And he gave me about 20 minutes and guess who's on the podcast? Jim Cantori. You made it happen. You did. That's why I wanted you to I introduce him. You did. Yeah. That's why you're on this podcast. That and the stories about crazy DMs. Oh, I got lots of those. Oh, look, wait till we get to blind dates. Oh, I've got some stories there. Promise you. I'll share blind. Okay, well. Yeah. This is the issue with that is everybody you meet now, my age, you meet them on basically social media. So I've never really had a blind date before. I mean, I've been on a date with people who I've just known through other people or I've met through social media, which is disgusting to say. I apologize. But. (laughs) <laughs> never have I ever been on a real blind date. No one's ever set me up with someone. I've gone on a blind date with them. And you're right. 
the generation that you're in and the social media is just kind of taking out the uh, the need really for blind dates because you can somebody tells you hey i've got somebody i want you to to meet i want to set you up on a date with somebody okay what's their name what's the first thing you do you just look them up you look them up facebook twitter instagram snapchat what is stitcher we're on stitcher and i don't know what that is your guess is just as good as mine. I have no idea what it is, but we're on Stitcher. I, I'm, I have picked on them through the promos the last week, and I don't mean to. We're on Stitcher. I don't know what they are. But I don't know if that's like Snapchat or... I love what my, my grandmother calls all the social media things. She combines all the names, and she'll call it fake, fake gram, Insta tweet. Sometimes sure. she'll, she'll swap them, and I'm like, God bless Momo. So, all right, so you ready for our first guest? Oh, I'm so ready. All right, we're going to take a break. Blair's going to be with us every week, and you get to hear stuff like this. We're just going to shoot from the hip every week, folks. It's Just Say with Jason Scarborough. We are presented by King's Daughters Medical Center, driven by Mississippi Ag, and we are powered by Centerpoint Energy. We're coming back with the one and the only Jim Cantori with the Weather Channel right here on Just Saying. During times of uncertainty, it's comforting to know we have a healthcare system in our community that's been committed to supporting us for well over a century. In this current time, we are standing together and our bond is stronger than ever. KDMC, caring for our community like no one else can. At Egg Up, your local John Deere dealer, you can leave it up to us, or you can build it, price it, and own it with a simple click of a button at agup.com. Build it. Select from tractors, lawn equipment, or gators. Next, choose which implements and attachments best fit your tasks. Price it. Receive immediate pricing. Own it. Pick it up at your Egg Up location. Visit agup.com today to begin customizing your equipment, or feel free to leave it up to us and visit any of our 16 locations in Mississippi and Arkansas. Before digging in my yard, I always call 811 to have my utility lines marked to avoid service interruptions or injury. As Centerpoint Energy says, it's better to call 811 now than 911 later. And if I suspect a gas leak, I leave the area immediately on foot and call Centerpoint Energy and 911 from a safe, remote location. <laughs> really? Centerpoint Energy invests in its infrastructure to help keep you safe. Centerpoint Energy, always there. The Spirit Media Network is providing coverage of sports, faith, and entertainment like no one else in Mississippi and the Deep South. No other media outlet touches all the bases as we do, from the Friday night lights to rubbing shoulders with the biggest names in college athletics. Be sure to follow us on our multiple platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, our YouTube channel, and by downloading our Roku slash smart TV channel, Spirit Live. Check out our website at spiritmedianet.com for upcoming projects and broadcasts. And stay up to date with what's happening on the Spirit Media Network, where we're changing the game.
And we welcome you back to Just Saying. First episode, I got to tell you, you just never know who's going to stop by the program. Believe it or not, we're so pleased to be joined now by the Weather Channel's own Jim Cantori. He's joining us as he's in storm coverage right now. Jim, you have a million things you could be doing right now, but thanks for taking a few minutes with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, we're talking about two tropical systems, whether they both landfall as hurricanes or not, uh, you know, not too far apart from each other. But, uh, you know, as, as everybody's saying, it's just so 2020, right? Yeah, anything can happen in 2020. And, you know, for someone on this yeah. line, this is a big yeah. moment for someone in particular on this line because – she grew up watching you on the Weather Channel. Like every morning, all the time you were on the television, she was watching you. Blair, is that right? You watched him every moment you got? Absolutely. I remember being little and every time we had tornado warnings, snowstorms, hurricanes, anything, my dad would record me outside my front yard acting like I was Jim Cantori. So this is awesome. I literally grew up watching the Weather Channel, wanted to be the storm tracker for the Weather Channel forever. So this is really cool. So so that's why you went into sports, right, Blair? <laughs> hey, now. We're all right. on the side, okay? There. I had to throw that out there. Did you ever think about oh being a sports gym, or was it always meteorology? Or oh, what? my God. It's funny you say that, dude. I always wanted to be, like, a baseball announcer. You know, like, but I love listening to, like, Bob Euchre and Phil I'm a huge Yankees fan. I grew up a big Yankees fan. And, uh, you know, hearing Phil Rizzuto broadcast Yankee games was awesome. You know, Susan Waldman, who's the voice of the Yankees with John Sterling, is a good friend of mine. And it's just really cool to be doing that, you know. And, and, and so, yeah, if the weather thing didn't work out, maybe I would have been a, a broadcaster announcer of, of baseball games. Who knows? You're a Yankees guy, I'm assuming. Huge Yankees guy. Huge Yankees fan. Like, fabulous. And I know we just kind of fell back. Uh, in second place due to the Tampa Bay Rays. They got a great team, man. Don't underestimate don't never underestimate the Rays. So Jim, what exactly drew you into meteorology? And then what drew you into wanting to be this guy that's in the middle of these crazy life threatening storms as the original storm chaser with the Weather Channel? Ooh. Well so is my the same guy who made me a Yankee fan, my dad, also told me that I need to go study the weather. Because you're like a freak when it snows. Because, you know, I grew up in New England and Vermont, so it snowed a lot up there. And uh, I'm like, yeah, Dad, that's actually kind of a great idea. Let's go do that. Because I never really thought about going to study and become a meteorologist as a career. But, I mean, that was his call. And it was, a, you know, obviously fantastic foresight. Um, so, yeah, I went and studied it. And, 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 you know, then when I got to the Weather Channel, I mean, one of the things that our viewers told us, they're like, hey, you know, we loved all the hundred thousand maps that you show us every day on the weather. But what is it like to like be in this stuff? What is it like to be in a hurricane or a snowstorm or a flood or, you know, ahead of a squall line? And so we, we went and we started going out and covering the weather. Now that started in the eighties and I was, you know, still back at the weather channel in, in the studio. I would be at the anchor desk, but I never got a chance to go out there. So Dennis Smith is the one who went to Miami for uh, Andrew which was a Category 5 hurricane. And, and they essentially just asked me after that because we knew we'd have a second landfall on the Gulf Coast. Jim, you want to go out and cover the second landfall of Andrew? And I was like, hell yeah. I totally want to go. I mean, it didn't take me two seconds. Yeah, I want to go out and be in it. Absolutely. And, and it's funny that you brought up the sports because I always kind of think of it as our Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean you're going through this. You've got four quarters to go through. 
here comes the first outer band. Here comes the second one. Now you're in the eye wall. You're going through it. And, and then things, you know, gradually start to wind down. Um, so I always think of it like uh, it's our Super Bowl. Wow. So that was interesting you brought that up. That's awesome. Out of all the storms you've covered, has there ever been a time where you were genuinely terrified or scared for your life, or what was like the worst storm you've ever been in? I mean, genuinely terrified, no. Um, wishing I was somewhere else, yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of know as a meteorologist what, a, a little bit what's going to happen. But, you know, when Katrina came in and we had ridiculous, you know, 30 foot of storm surge. I mean, I just never seen anything like that in my life. Cars out in the parking lot, bouncing around like little rubber duckies in the bathtub, you know, trees floating by the building. I mean, that was just wild. And then actually having it become real at the Armed Forces Retirement Home and Golf Fort, where we had to help the, the 20 or so Navy CBs, which is the land-based unit of the Navy, U.S. Navy, uh, help bring these heroes. These are, these are our heroes, guys. At, at, at one right. of two armed forces retirement homes mm. in the country, they're all downstairs. They're eating. All the meds are down there. They're in these. You know, some of these guys are invalids. They're in these. You know, battery powered wheelchairs. If you ever try to pick one of those up, you're like, holy smoke! So all of a sudden, we lose power, and you know, all the humidity comes in, and it's like we got to get everybody to the second floor. You know, we got to get them up because the water started coming in the building. So I mean, it was kind of a one of those moments where. I wasn't really scared because I knew it was a storm surge, but I was kind of scared for others. Does that make sense? Right. You know, it, because it was like, it was more like, it's not about the TV anymore. It's about helping these people out, helping our heroes out. And that's what that storm, you know, became for me. It was really that. And, and nobody died. Nobody, nobody died from that. So that was the, uh, your mission accomplished. When you hear Blair tell a story like she just told about growing up, watching you, getting out in, the, in her front yard and, and trying to report the weather, and when you hear people tell you stories like that, because a lot of us did grow up watching you on the Weather Channel, and I mean, you're still, you're still doing it at a high level. When you hear people tell you stories like that, I mean, what, what comes to your mind when you hear a story like Blair just told you? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's very flattering. It makes you feel good, to be honest with you. I mean, I, it's like I obviously made an impression on this young girl or, you know, sometimes if it's a young man telling me, I, I made an impression on this person. And, you know, I, I really, what you see is what you get. I, I love the weather. On my days off, I do the weather. <laughs> on my vacations, I do the weather. <laughs> I mean, this is really me, period, you know. So what what you see is what you get and and I, and I think that that passion for anything I think anytime we see someone who's really passionate about something uh it's infectious you know i mean so so here here comes Mike trout who's like the best player in that we've ever seen in baseball he's a you know phenomenal baseball player but he's a weather nut so he's yeah. gone either he's gonna go on either way with it yeah so but but if you watch Mike in baseball if you watch the way he is and goes about his game. I mean, he's a passionate man about baseball. He loves playing the game. He loves playing the game, which is what really is infectious to a lot of fans and, and really why I think he's one of the most popular, if not the most popular player in baseball. But what's really cool is he's also a baseball nut. And I'll never forget the day I got like a <laughs> direct message from him. I'm like, holy smoke, this guy really is my trap. He's really, he's really texting me about the weather. So we just started this conversation, and um, you know, hopefully one of these days we'll get to cover a blizzard on the northeast coast together in the winter during the off season. But there hasn't been a lot of those lately, so uh, I'm, I'm waiting on that. But 
you know, in the meantime, I'll just watch him keep putting up phenomenal numbers for the Anaheim Angels. So your reaction to Mike Trout messaging you was probably the same reaction I had when I got a message from you the first time. <laughs> well, you're quite convincing, Blair. You're like, hey, I need you to help me out with this. I'm like, okay. And, I, you know, here's the deal, guys. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm just a man. And uh, just, like, just like everybody else, I mean, I, I love what I do and try and uh, give the best forecast I can, do my, do my job the best that I can, and hopefully it works out, you know. So far, so good. Well, we but, definitely um, appreciate everything you do for the Weather Channel and for the country covering everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a good ride. I just started my 35th year. And, wow. You know, like I keep telling everybody, I'd, I'd like to get 40 in it because I think that's, that's pretty cool to do 40 years, you know, in, in storms and doing weather. Um, but we'll see. See what the see what the big guy upstairs has in store for me. Now, one one last question. You did say that you still keep up with the weather, forecast the weather when you're off. I mean, you got to do something else when you're just relaxing, right? When you're not working, chasing storms. I mean, wh- <laughs> what is it? What is it you yeah. do when when you dial it down and just yeah, relax? Well, you do, yeah, man. I sleep. To be honest, with you. no. I mean, I I mean, I, I I love the lake. I love being in the lake and any any place near the water. So if I'm not at the ocean on vacation, I mean, I love North Georgia and the lake. And my kids love being out of the boat and the jet skis and stuff like that. So we have we have a good time. We have a good time. Just brought Ben out to the driving range the other day to so we do a little golfing, just trying to get my son into golf a little bit. So it's uh, you know just just have a good time. I miss playing softball. I wish I didn't throw out my right arm, dude. I'd still be playing softball. <laughs> I really love playing softball. Well, look, I just want to take a moment, and, and I know Blair wants to, to thank you as well. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us here on the podcast and just uh, spending a, oh, no some worries, time with man. us, man. Appreciate that. Oh, no no worries whatsoever. I mean, I just want everybody listening, you know, to, to realize that uh, uh, we're in the heart of hurricane season, and we are going to get a Marco Laura one-two punch. I'm worried about New Orleans for potential flooding. Even though that's not where the center may go, it doesn't really matter. Because a lot of times the impacts are well outside the cone in the center. So I want folks in New Orleans to take it seriously, which is why I'm here uh, to cover it. And then Laura, you know, Laura has every chance to become our first major hurricane in, in the Gulf of Mexico and, and make its way toward Texas, Louisiana, and maybe more Texas uh, from some of the some of the latest guides. But we'll see. Just be, just be ready for it. And then we still got all of September. Oh, yeah. Maybe a good chunk of October. To do, you know what I'm saying? It's, it, it, we've already had, you know, this, this phenomenal number of storms setting records for earliest, uh, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th storm on record. It's crazy. But I, but thanks for having me, guys. Seriously. He's Jim Cantori with the Weather Channel. Never know who's going to stop by here. Just saying rolls on after this break. You often hear about Mississippi's best-kept secrets. If you're looking for the perfect place for your next weekend getaway or the just-right setting for your wedding reception, look no further than the best-kept secret in Mississippi, the Cart Barn Inn. The Cart Barn Inn is tucked away in Bruce, Mississippi, less than 30 minutes from Oxford, and is a full-service bed and breakfast. Each room at the Cart Barn Inn is fully furnished, including flat-screen TVs, microwaves, refrigerators, wireless internet, comfortable seating, 
seating areas, and docking stations for your smartphones just in case you forgot your charger. Enjoy breakfast in the morning or a nice evening walk in our privately fenced-in courtyard. Enjoy the game outside on our patio area or take a walk on our boardwalk to our private gazebo. Kay Tyler and her staff will meet every expectation during your stay. Call and book your reservation today at 662-983-7829 or log on to cartbarnin.com. Cart Barn Inn, the best kept secret in Mississippi. King's Daughters Medical Center and Brookhaven Urology are pleased to announce the addition of Dr. Joel Duff to their medical staff. Dr. Duff specializes in general urology, kidney stones, men's and women's urological health, and diagnosing and treating urologic cancers. Don't let these health issues restrict your lifestyle and keep you from enjoying life with your family and friends. Dr. Duff and the staff at Brookhaven Urology are here to serve your needs. To make your appointment, call 601-833-5713 today. At AgUp, your local John Deere dealer, you can leave it up to us or you can build it, price it, and own it with a simple click of a button at agup.com. Build it. Select from tractors, lawn equipment, or gators. Next, choose which implements and attachments best fit your tasks. Price it. Receive immediate pricing. Own it. Pick it up at your AgUp location. Visit agup.com today to begin customizing your equipment or feel free to leave it up to us and visit any of our 16 locations in Mississippi and Arkansas. We welcome you back to Just Saying. Thanks for tuning in to this first episode, our new adventure here with this new podcast. And pleased to welcome in a good friend now, Neil McCready with RebelGrove.com, part of the Rivals Network. And, of course, you know Neil from Ole Miss football coverage here in the last few years. And, and glad that you're with me today, Neil. I mean, I know there's a lot of things we can dive into. We'll try to condense it a bit here. But uh, I hope you're doing well through all the, the pandemic craziness. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. Congratulations on the new show. Honored to uh, be on your first episode. So the the football season appears that looks like we might have one. Uh, at least that's the thought right now. Uh, with Ole Miss drawing Florida that first game, Lane Kiffin's going to get a lot of tests right out of the gate. What do you make of the schedule? The the conference only schedule that Ole Miss drew. You know, in a normal year, this would be a, a massive topic of conversation. And, and as someone who's covered the league for a long time, I would be fascinated by it, interested in it, and all of those things. This is not a normal year um, at all. And so more than anything, the most interesting thing to me about Ole Miss's opener against Florida is does it get played? Um, And I know it sounds flippant, and I don't mean for it to, but I look at their schedule and the two things that stick out to me about it are the start date and the finish date. Because if they make it to the start date, that's a win. And if they make it to the finish date, that's a win. And if they don't, it's a loss. And this is the one year that if you're an SEC fan, whether you're an Ole Miss, Ole Miss fan or a Mississippi State fan or an Alabama fan or Florida or Kentucky or whatever, this is the one year that you are cheering for the whole league. And not only that, you're cheering for every Big 12 team and you're cheering for every ACC team and every Sunbelt team and every CUSA team. And I think I'm leaving somebody out, um, every AAC team. You need those leagues to happen. You need those leagues to get to the starting line, and you need those leagues to get to the finish line. Because if they do, it will be a monumental win in so many ways. 
for every one of the programs that did it and uh, for the people, the commissioners, the ADs, the coaches, the people that made the decisions that they could proceed through August and into September and into a season. And I know that sounds like a, a ridiculous answer to say that this is the one year that wins and losses truly don't matter, but this is the one year that wins and losses truly do not matter as much as people are, are going to talk about them and I'm going to talk about them and I'm going to write about them. But I think in the back of my mind the entire time, it's going to be about finish line, starting line and finish line. I've, I've used this analogy a few times. I've run a few marathons and when you go to a marathon as a contestant, uh, there's usually about three camps. They're the people that are competing to win the marathon, the elite athletes, the elite runners, the people that run a marathon in two hours and 10 minutes or something insane like that. And then you have a second subset of people that are uh, pretty serious athletes who are there trying to set a personal record. Maybe they're trying to run it in two hours and 40 minutes or two hours and 45 minutes or under three hours or uh, something like that. They're trying to win their age group, something like that. And then you have the people that typically like me, who it was a life accomplishment. It was a um, a personal milestone. Uh, they're running for a, a a parent or for a uh, a cause or a charity or you know the goal is just to finish. The goal is to finish the marathon and to get the medal and to be able to say, more importantly to yourself than anybody else, that hey, I did it. I made this goal and I trained and I did it. And in a typical year, the SEC, the majority of the SEC are the elite runners at the front of the marathon who are trying to win the marathon. This is not a typical year. This is a year where everybody is just trying to get the medal. Do you think that the description you just gave, I, I love the analogy, do you think it bodes well for a team, say like Ole Miss? They're, they're extremely young, brand new coaching staff, so whatever games you get in this year, whether it's one, whether it's five, whether it's the entire season. So is that advantageous for a young team and a young coaching staff, first-year coaching staff like Ole Miss? Is that a terrible way to look at it? No, not really. I mean, look, if you only get one game in, it was a disaster. If you only get two games in, it was a disaster. If you can't get all ten in, if you start and you can't finish, it's a disaster. This is a pass-fail. If you run 25 miles of the marathon and you can't run the, the last 1.2, you don't get the medal. You don't get to tell people, yeah, I ran the Chicago Marathon or I ran the Boston Marathon. You, you didn't. You, you tried to run it. You didn't finish it. You don't get the medal unless you finish. Even if you limp across the finish line dragging a broken leg, you had to cross to get it. Once you get across, it's, it's yours. And you get to say, hey, I ran the Boston Marathon or whatever. No, this is this is – about finishing it. Now, here, look, here's the thing. People say, well, what, what about on the field? Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach and Eli Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman at Arkansas, those four programs, they didn't get a spring. They didn't get a typical summer, and they're probably not going to look like a typical first-year program. The good news for all four of those programs is that this goes from year one to year zero. Certainly at Ole Miss, this is year zero for Lane Kiffin. This is an opportunity for Kiffin now. They didn't get to do what they wanted to do in the spring as it pertains to recruiting. They were planning to be very active in recruiting in the spring. They were going to use some of their official visits, a lot of unofficial visits. They were going to get kids to campus, bring them to practices, and show show them the practice and say, hey, look, see number 17 over there or whatever. That's going to be your spot when we get you here. This is what we're trying to do. Here's what it looks like. They didn't get to do that. Uh, that's a disadvantage in recruiting when you're competing against established programs like Ole Miss and Mississippi State are. 
So instead, what the season is going to allow them to do is to get in touch with some of these kids over the course of the summer and as, as we get into the season and say, hey, watch our game Saturday against Florida. Watch what we're doing on defense or offense or whatever the case may be. That's what we have envisioned for you in our program. That's the one football thing that uh, Ole Miss can get out of this. Ole Miss isn't winning the SEC this year. They, they don't have the talent base to win the SEC. They, they don't have the talent base to be in contention to win the SEC. So this is a, this is absolutely, from a football standpoint, this is a recruiting year, a showcase year, a development year, and it's going to require that they be pretty creative. Have you been in favor or have you approved of the way that, that Greg Sankey has kind of handled this whole thing? Because he's, he's pretty much said there was a belief there for a while that the Power Five conferences were going to be lock in step with each other. And then Ohio State, or I'm sorry, the Big Ten Conference announces the conference-only schedule before everyone else. And just hearing yeah. some chatter, it seemed to tick off the rest of the, the commissioners in the Power Five. But, but Sankey has kind of – he's kind of drawn a line in the sand and saying, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll operate however we need to operate for – for our fan base, for our universities, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's, I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much yeah. what he said. Have you been impressed? What, what, what's your analysis of how he's handled this entire thing? I think you have to give him an A-plus to this moment. He said consistently, uh, starting in March, that uh, patience would be a virtue, that time uh, would be a gift, that the more time that you take to make a decision, the more informed that decision can be, and he stuck to that. You know, they ultimately made the decision to, to go conference only, which I think this year is smart. They made the decision to back the schedule up to the final weekend of September and to leave in enough leeway where if they needed to, they could back it up another week to the first week of October and they could still get the schedule in. Uh, they built an open date into everybody's schedule uh, during the season, built an open date into the end of the schedule where if you know, let's say Ole Miss and Florida, we'll just use that game since you, you brought it up. Let's say one of those two programs has some sort of a breakout, can't go on opening weekend. Well, now they could play on the final week. Yeah, I think he's been really smart. He uh, he pushed to get the kids on campus in early June. He pushed for a very deliberate summer, uh, probably not the kind of summer that competitive coaches really wanted. But, um, he, yeah, I mean, he's done everything right, and even to this point. Greg Sankey has yet to say, hey, we're definitely playing. Because he doesn't know that. But he has said we're going to continue to progress in that way. And as long as we can, we will. And if we get to a point that we can't, we will reevaluate. And and that is absolutely the right strategy. It's the right path to take. And um, I think everything as of this moment, which is what, August the 22nd, um, as of this moment, I think everything points towards football being played five weeks from today. And if that football is played five weeks from today, a lot of the people who have been critics of Greg Sankey will, um, they'll have to reevaluate that. They'll have to say, hey, at least in this one case, his leadership is one of the big reasons that those teams are on the field today, if we can say that in five weeks. He's Neil McCready with RebelGrove.com, part of the Rivals Network, joining us here on Just Saying. So I had this conversation with a few people, and the one thing I appreciate about you is you're extremely opinionated. You don't mind just telling it like it is. And one of the things I keep hearing tossed around 
is, hey, the Power Five, they they do not need the NCAA because the NCAA has pretty much, where they've been throughout this whole thing, throughout the last couple of weeks, they've been awfully quiet, which is, you know, really strange for them. because they've, they, been, they've been pretty loud behind the scenes under the under the surface. There's a lot. They're making a lot of noise. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I, I just think that, do you think that at some point with everything that's happened in the last few weeks, everything that's going on right now, that we do get to a point where the Power Five says, you know what, the NCAA needs us more than we need them. We're good. College football commissioner, czar, whatever you want to call them, for the Power Five, and they kind of break off from the NCAA. Do we ever see that day? Yeah, I think so. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And, you know, when you say break away from the NCAA, and I've talked about that too, you know, the Power Five breaking away, they're going to have to form their own organization if that happens you're still going to have to have rules and so you're going to have to form something very similar to what is now the NCAA I mean otherwise it's the wild wild west and that won't work uh I mean there's a lot of challenges staring at that uh intercollegiate athletics uh that are that are coming um some as a result of COVID some as a result of the I guess the summer of social justice that we have experienced and are continuing to experience as players realize that they are empowered to a degree and uh, now the players are going to have to learn how to measure that power because I think there have been times this summer that they have thought they had leverage and, and uh, they used, they tried to exert far more leverage than they had and it, it resulted in some pain. So th- that, that's got to all get, there's a lot of things that have to get worked out that have to get ironed out before we can fully know where things are going. But look, no matter what this season does or does not look like, this is, uh, this is life-altering for college sports. The landscape will never I, – I, and I've said it too. People go, I just, I'll be glad when it gets back to normal. That's over. Never going back to that normal. Whatever the new normal is, we'll find out. But um, it, it won't be what, what we saw in 2018 and 2019. Those days are over. They're, they're gone for good, Jason. They're, they're never coming back. And What college athletics will look like – in 2020 and 2021 and 2022 and and then here in the next few years when a lot of the big tv contracts expire when a lot of the grant and and rights expire like with the big 12 whether it's realignment whether it's a breakaway or both the landscape is absolutely going to be volatile and it's going to change and a lot of these programs i mean you know you talk about the big 10 these big 10 programs are losing nine figures hundred million dollars plus from their budgets this one year that is a uh, incalculable loss when you think about it. Um, you know, we don't really know where we're headed with the virus. You know, I have some strong opinions on it, but I'm not the one making the decisions very clearly. And, and, you know, what if there's another lost basketball season? What if there's another lost NCAA tournament? What does that mean for Big 12, for Big 10 programs, for Pac-12 programs? What does it mean coaches' salaries moving forward? I, I anticipate a reset of sorts uh, kind of across the board. And, and this is all with the assumption that the SEC and the Big 12 and the, and the uh, ACC play. What if we get to a point in the next few weeks where those leagues say, hey, it just isn't going to work, and they don't play? The, the financial loss at an institution like Ole Miss is, uh, I'll repeat the word, it is incalculable. It is it is it's no there's no way to put context to it what destruction that that it would uh, it would lead to it would be catastrophic cataclysmic uh, that's you know so when you to to go back to your previous question about Sankey 
in so many ways, the, the landscape that Greg Sankey looks at as he makes decisions and helps navigate a league through this trying time is with the understanding of, it's the part that I have no understanding with the Big Ten, their, their decision-making process. The SEC has absolutely no choice but to try to get to the starting line. They have no choice but to try every single thing that they can to get to the starting line. And to Greg Sankey's credit, he has done that and has done it in a, in a very methodical way, in, in, in a way that, that the, the Big Ten uh, can't claim and the Pac-12 can't claim and the NCAA, which uh, you know has no real say over football. The NCAA is now put in this really weird predicament that I think will ultimately uh, lead to to major change in their in their structure moving forward, one way or the other. The NCAA is put in this situation where now it is it is charged to support the programs that are playing, while at the same time, essentially hoping that they come to the conclusion that they cannot play. The NCAA, make no mistake, does not want these leagues to play, because if these leagues play and the SEC gets to the finish line and the ACC gets to the finish line, and the Big 12 gets to the finish line with limited capacity stadiums or whatnot, but even if it's messy, if they get there and the Big 10 never started and the Pac-12 never started, those two leagues, it would be very, very difficult for them to recover. It would be very, very difficult for them to win back the public trust, for them to compete for the top athletes in the country. Across the board, it, it will be – will be devastating for those two leagues in particular. The NCAA doesn't want that. The NCAA understands fully, believe me, under the, under the radar, behind the scenes, they completely understand that the entire landscape gets changed if the scenario that I just painted comes to fruition. Do you think when you look at – I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. The way that we're handling this whole COVID deal as it pertains to athletics – tailgating's been shut down. There's going to be a lot of agitated people wandering around the Grove this year if we get to that point, and the Junction and Starkville, the Quad in Alabama, so on and so forth. Sure. Have we gone overboard with the 25 20% capacity, the mask, the social distancing? Because I know where I stand on that. And I just – if you talk about the financial loss if the season doesn't happen, even if the season – that train does get off the tracks for with game one and you've got yeah. a home schedule five or six games where you're only at 20 25 percent capacity you're still losing a chunk of money so where do you stand on how we've how we've gone about this thing the tailgating the 20 25 percent capacity all the 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 parameters that are in place where do you stand on that well, and you know, and I can take this on without it being personal to me because I, I, I'm always amused by the assumption that me, because I live here, that I go to the Grove every Saturday. I haven't haven't been to the Grove in I don't know eleven years, twelve years. Um, I, I don't do any of that, but I, I live in this town. I know what a football weekend means to a town like Oxford, to a town like Starkville, to a town like Fayetteville, where my daughter goes to school. I understand the significance of of those weekends to the hotel, to the restaurants, to the bars in a town like Oxford, what it means to the secondary real estate market. I'm sure that's that way in a lot of other towns. I'm not as intimately familiar because I don't live in them, obviously. But I mean, I could, I'm smart enough 
of average intelligence enough to guess. You know, we're talking financial devastation by the fact that, um, you know, as of now, I think at Ole Miss and State, what's 25% that you're allowed and um, 25% capacity in those stadiums. At Ole Miss, that means about 16,000 people. At Mississippi State, I would guess it's a very similar number. I don't know the exact capacity of um, of Davis Wade. I guess it's what, 60, about 62, 63, 64 also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're talking about a, a very similar number. So at, at both Ole Miss and State, that means 45,000 plus seats go unfilled, potentially. Uh, that's it's a lot of money. All, all of those people come to Startville or Oxford or Fayetteville or Baton Rouge or Tuscaloosa or wherever, and they buy gas and they buy, uh, they buy groceries, they buy food, they entertain themselves, they stay in hotels, um, they buy gear. You know, little Johnny wants a bulldog T-shirt. Little Jenny wants a bulldog T-shirt. Um, they eat at the game and they have – Coke and, you know, beers and everything else. And all that's profits that are lost, that are lost forever. And uh, when people say, well, you don't lose it if you never had it, that's insane. And I've seen media people say that. That's ridiculous. You budgeted for it. But why? Because, well, you, you, you know generally, if you're Mississippi State, for example, you know generally what it means to Starkville when Auburn comes to town or when LSU comes to town or when Alabama comes to town or Georgia comes to town or whatnot. You know what those games mean. You, you have smart enough people that you can put the numbers into a spreadsheet and into your system and, and to project what revenues will be created by Florida coming to Ole Miss in September. I mean, let's take that game as an example. There's a lot of excitement here because of Lane Kiffin. Uh, it's a new coaching staff, all that stuff. Florida will come into town, I presume, ranked in the top ten, maybe higher than that. Um Florida doesn't come to Oxford very often. It was Florida's first trip to here since in 13 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Before I was on the beat, in a normal year, I dare say, September the 26th, Florida at Ole Miss would be a sellout at Broad Hemingway. Those people would start coming to town on Thursday. The bars, the restaurants would be full on Thursday night, on Friday night, on Saturday. Uh, the breakfast places would be full on Sunday. Lunch places would be full on Sunday before people left town. They would stay at hotels and pay exorbitant prices and uh, all of those things. And you mentioned tailgating. Well, you can go to the Grove or you go to the Junction. We'll use the Ole Miss game as, as the example here. If you go to the Grove, you're probably taking food into the Grove, which means you had to buy that food somewhere. You, you drove a car to get here. You've got to fill up your car to get your car out of town. I mean, I, you know, it's economics. And so – the amount of money that's lost is it's incredible, even if the game's played, because people can't come. You know, will will people will people come to town anyway and hang out in the bars and all of that? I guess probably. Will all forty five thousand that would have come to the game? No, they won't. So it, it it's it's lost money, no question. And so then people say, well, that's the price you pay. You know, for it's the virus and and all of that. And this is where I think you and I are pretty similar. This is where a lot of people disagree with me. I, I do, th- you know, I do think that there's something to be said for individual choice and individual action. And I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor, but I do know a lot of doctors, and and um, a lot of doctors do not share the opinions of the leaders that are making the decisions that they're making. And uh, a lot of those people, um, you know, I think a lot of people that are that are in like local 
municipalities at the, at the state government level, at the, you know, decision-making level, look at this and think, you know, must be nice to be able to look at this only from a medical standpoint and, and make the rec- recommendations that are being made and the rules that are being made that are going to cost people their livelihoods. You just, you know, there's, people have different views on, on what the virus is or isn't. You know, for whatever reason, there is a seeming unwillingness on the part of the people who are making policy to admit that this is a virus that attacks the, the elderly, that attacks the infirmed, that attacks people with a lot of pre-existing conditions. And, you know, in my world, in an ideal world, those people would say, hey, I probably don't need to go to the game in Oxford or Starkville or Fayetteville or Columbia or whatnot. In an ideal world, those people would say, I probably should stay home and watch it on TV. And the people that would go would be the people who basically have no real risk. I'm I'm amazed at how some of the people in uh, the the decision-making realm of this have adopted a no-risk-allowed mentality. Mm. Because if that's where we're going as a society, where no risk is allowed, well, we don't need to play football. Football has risk. It's established. It's one of the things that's blown me away about the media. I know this is fast turning into a really long answer. It's one of the things that's really blown me away with the media that said we just can't play. We just can't play. There's risk. Those exact same media members are the same ones that over the last several years have pushed back against those of us who have said, hey, this CTE thing's real. This brain damage is real. We're watching young people. I mean, Ole Miss had a former quarterback, Devin Steen, who I covered when I first got here, mm-hmm. who committed suicide well, within the last year or so. And, uh, you know, one of his last acts was to make sure that his brain was donated to science. I know that Jevin believed that football had damaged his brain irreparably. Where, are the, where have been the people on that story? Some of the very same sports writers who have just turned into virus experts who have essentially applauded the Big Ten and criticized the SEC for having the audacity to try to play are the same ones that just ignore, completely ignore CTE. But my point is this. There's risk associated with anything. If you get in a car, you're taking risk. If you get in a plane, you're taking risk. You know, if you do anything, there's risk. If you play football, there's risk. If we're going to get to a place in our society where no risk is tolerated, I mean, we got to reevaluate a whole lot of the things that we do. It's funny you frame it that way because I'm thinking while you're talking, I'm thinking about good gosh, when I was growing up, I did I did some really stupid things. You know, on a, on a skateboard, a bicycle, in a car. Sure. Famous last words, right? Hey, y'all, watch this. Right. You know, on any given when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you yeah, grew up I mean, in Louisiana. You know, I grew we grew up in the South, man. You're going to do crazy off the wall things. And you look back and you go, how in the world did I survive that? Yeah. And, and I don't, I'm not one of the people that minimizes COVID. I, I, I understand that it's serious. I'm not one of the people that thinks it's a hoax. It's obviously not a hoax. Anything that's cost this many lives around the world is, is not a hoax. It's a real thing. It's a, I mean, I've, I know people who it has uh, done real damage to. You know, I, I, know, I know people who have lost loved ones to it. You know, in every single case, there were people in their 80s. I just sometimes wish that we as a, as a society could be a little more honest about it. We've, we have, I think, in my opinion, we have allowed it to become a political topic. We have allowed high school football to become a political topic. It's insane. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's ludicrous. We have allowed 
whether kids go back to school or not to become a political topic and for people to refuse to really dive into what what that means because it's become so important for people to be right. We've we've refused to acknowledge in the media Bafield has just completely embarrassed itself, probably permanently. You talk about who 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 has suffered permanently, what will happen with college athletics. I think the way media is consumed will change forever because of this. People don't trust media right now, nor should you. I mean, there are very few people that point out in the stories that they write about COVID that one half or more, and it's actually a little bit more than one half of all of the COVID deaths have happened in nursing homes and in long-term healthcare facilities. And as sad as that is, when you go to a nursing home, you go to a nursing home for a reason. You go to a nursing home because your health has deteriorated to a point that your loved ones can no longer care for you themselves. People don't go to nursing rooms, nursing homes as a, as a place to uh, rehabilitate. They go to nursing homes essentially to die. They don't stay there long. And so when half of the deaths come in nursing homes, does it, does it make their deaths any less sad or any less tragic? But it does make them noteworthy. And this lockdown, it's been a lot of lockdown-related deaths. That the media has not done a very good job of really diving into those. Why? Because it doesn't meet the, the agenda. It doesn't, it doesn't further the agenda that has become the, the most compelling part of the coverage. And this isn't a left versus right thing, although it's turned into one. But when things are right down party lines on something like this, it's been politicized. And that's a shame because it's a, it's a big story and uh, we're talking about health, but we're talking about more than just physical health. I mean, we're talking, we've, a lot of people have seen their financial health ruined. A lot of people have seen their livelihoods ruined, their careers ruined. Uh, what we're doing to young people, in my opinion, is, is borderline criminal. You know, and, and young people just aren't affected by this virus. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we have, we have young kids not getting to go back to school. Kids go back to school and there's a few cases of COVID and, and, and the headlines are, oh, God. You know, it, it's, it's, it's it, the, the reaction, shut it down. We don't need to shut it down. We need to roll through it. We need to get through it. I mean, there's, there's, there's a debate about herd immunity that, that quite frankly, all of the scientists are on one side and a, a handful of people in government are on the other. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the people who know what the hell they're talking about, that there is such a thing as herd immunity and that there is such a thing as T cell immunity. There, there's, this, this is a, a learning opportunity that's being lost because of political agendas. That's a really long-winded, agenda-driven answer is all it sounds like. <laughs> My agenda as it pertains to this is that if, if you are someone who is at risk, you have to be careful. And you have, my, my parents live here. They're 78 years old. Uh, my dad turns 78 tomorrow, as a matter of fact. They have to make, you know, my mom's a cancer survivor. My dad's had heart episodes in, in, in his past. So they have to make different decisions than my kids should make because they're at a different level of risk. My parents would tell you this. They, they, they don't want to see their grandchildren stop living so that, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going on and on. It just, to me, it's become very political. The media has become political. The media has made this topic very political. It's an election year. I think that has absolutely played into the way that it's been covered. Mm-hmm. I think it's played. I think it's played into some of the decisions that have been made. And um, you know, I'm a big believer that there will likely be some ramifications. There will be a reckoning at some point. I don't know when that is or or what that reckoning is, but 
like we were talking about the the power five leagues that three are doing one thing and two are doing the other. There's, there's, there's not going to be degrees of right or wrong. You're either going to be right or you're going to be wrong. We'll find out over the course of the next few months. Hey, real quick, happy birthday to your dad. Let's go ahead and give him a, a shout out. Happy birthday to, uh, to Papa McCready. Is, is that what he goes by? No, there's he, he, <laughs> Mike McCready. The, the kids call him granddaddy. Uh, so yeah, happy birthday to him. He's awesome. And uh, we're, we're very fortunate to, have him in our lives. Look, thanks for jumping on with me. This is, I hope you will come back because everything that you just went through was, that was really, really good stuff. And I, and I hope that we can do this again. And I hope that I get to see some of the games this year. Uh, hopefully we'll have games and it'll be semi-normal to to see some of the, the familiar faces in uh, on press row there uh, at some of the games this year. So I hope I get to see you this year. Well, I hope I get to see you too. I'm not particularly optimistic about yeah. in-person coverage. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. And uh, I know this is not a popular opinion in media, and I always say you should never argue for this. I, I, I think getting the media to the games should be so far down the priority list. Um, there's ways for us to do it. I know that uh, it's not not ideal, but we've had a level of access. I give Ole Miss a lot of credit here. They've they we've had some uh, Zoom opportunities and things of that nature. And they've you know it's not again it's not perfect. It's not ideal. It's not the way that anybody would want it to be. But in a in a one off kind of year, I think everybody has to make some sacrifices, and compromises, and if that helps in us uh, getting to a point where we can have a football season and uh, the kids can play and we can minimize some of the financial loss and all of those things, and that's a, it's a small price for media to pay. Hey, give out your Twitter handle for folks that uh, want to follow you on Twitter and, and give you a hard time. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's just my name, Neil McCready, N-E-A-L-M-C-C-R-E-A-D-Y. And uh, if you just want the football coverage and the recruiting stuff, you can follow <laughs> us at Rebel Grove. There's no personal opinion from the Rebel Grove account, but there there are a few occasionally from my personal account. So. It's one of the more entertaining Twitter handles, uh, and, and I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you hopping on, and I hope we get to do this again. All right, man. Good luck with your show. I hope it goes well. The Spirit Media Network is providing coverage of sports, faith, and entertainment like no one else in Mississippi and the Deep South. No other media outlet touches all the bases as we do, from the Friday night lights to rubbing shoulders with the biggest names in college athletics. Be sure to follow us on our multiple platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, our YouTube channel, and by downloading our Roku slash smart TV channel, Spirit Live. Check out our website at spiritmedianet.com for upcoming projects and broadcasts. And stay up to date with what's happening on the Spirit Media Network, where we're changing the game. back to just saying and we appreciate you joining us here for this first episode a new venture for us here at the spirit media network of course you guys listened to me on the radio before so you're used to hearing me with a uh, a very nice and souped up microphone so i'm glad that you're listening wherever you are whether it's spotify itunes stitcher i'm not familiar with stitcher i'm gonna have to get somebody to give me lessons maybe coach sean holiday can give me lessons tupelo christian head football coach who joins us on the kdmc guest line now coach do you know anything about stitcher i know about spotify and and tune in and itunes i don't even know anything about stitcher never heard of stitcher until <laughs> now 
<laughs> you got me on that one, brother. When I saw we were going to be on Stitcher, I'm like, it, do I want to be on Stitcher? Do I need to investigate this? I'm not not quite sure. But. Yeah, I will definitely look it up when we get done. <laughs> Well, look, you've got such a unique story. Uh, We are mutual friends with uh, Coach Max Howell. He's told me a little bit uh, about your story. Of course, you went to Ole Miss, and and I'll let you take it from there, how you went through the coaching ranks and ended up to where you are now at at Tupelo Christian. Yeah, well, uh, first off, thank you for having me on your show today. I'm I'm blessed. I I was born and raised in Iuka, Mississippi. Uh, When I left Iuka, graduated from Fish County in 1992. When I left there, I was fortunate enough to go to Ole Miss and play baseball. If I'm not mistaken, I think I am the third African-American to play baseball uh, at Ole Miss, third or fourth. And, uh, you know, I got through playing ball and got a job. Got a job and uh, got married. Found, I met my beautiful wife at Itawam Community College. Her name is Chanel Holiday. Uh, we have two beautiful sons, Kai and Lace Holiday. So, and, and I was working for about 10 years, I guess. And I went to a softball game one day, and uh, I saw my old baseball coach. He was coaching softball, and the coach at Little Wamba High School, Brian Long, came up to me, and he said, man, why don't you come help me coach baseball? So just off of a fluke, well, I, I ain't going to say a fluke because God has a plan for me. And in that plan, it was meant for me to go to a softball game. And I started coaching at that point. So it's, it's kind of crazy how it all started. So you've been a Tupelo Christian for how many years now? Uh, I got here in 2002. We play in the 1A division in football. Uh, when I first came to Tupelo Christian Prep, Coach Will Lowry, he hired me as an assistant baseball coach. So I was the baseball coach. And, but during that time period, the, my second year there, the uh, the football program was kind of struggling. And our athletic director, Coach Aubrey Bourne, he asked me, he said, man, how about you come in and be the football coach? So I said, well, coach, let me talk about it. Let me, talk, you know, pray about it. And me and my wife talked about it. We said, you know, why not? We love TCPS. Why not? So God blessed me to become the football coach. And my first year there, when I took the job, Jason, I had nine players. I'm going to let you think about that for a second. Wait a minute. Let me make sure I heard that right, coach. You had nine players? Yeah. I, I had nine players. We had to, I had to get in the hallways and beg kids to come out and play. And uh, wound up with 15 players that year. They were 15 of the gutsiest kids you've ever met in your life. Now, my coaching staff, on the other hand, it was huge. I had a former Ole Miss All-American, Rufus French, uh, DeAndre Allen, who played here in Tupelo, but also played at South Carolina with the Miami Dolphins. And I had several more tell this story all the time. When we got off the bus, we looked great. And then those little white kids got off the bus behind because my coaching staff was all black. We were at a predominantly white school. And, and it looked weird, you know. But we, we didn't win a game that year. We went over, we went over in uh, 10. And, and I told those guys, I said, let me tell you something. I said, if you'll stick with it and you'll go through the hard times, this program will be successful off of what you guys did. Kept it going. My second year, that was really a tough year, Jason. Uh, we had to cancel the season. You know, we, we, we didn't have any big kids. We were small. We were young. And it was very, very humbling for me as a coach. I had to go down to the High School Athletic Association and tell them, you know, we can't play. But we had to cancel all of our games that year. So, mind you, the first year, you got nine players. Second year, you got to cancel. And I'm sitting here going, Lord, what's really going on? So, during that year, though, 
we would uh, we would practice every day. We would go out. We would practice. Uh, we would lift weights. Uh, on Friday, I would tell them, guys, go watch football. You know, go watch football. Go go watch and learn. Go see what Friday night looks like. So the following year, we come back, and we're, we're blessed to be able to go independent for, for two years. Well, actually, we went independent for the next four years. And, and during that time, I was fortunate enough to hire Coach David Wilkerson. Coach Wilkerson was my offensive coordinator, and Coach Aubrey Bourne, who was the athletic director, became my defensive coordinator. So during that process, we, we started running the spread offense. And Coach Wilkerson, he's a guru when it comes to the spread offense. Uh, so we started running the spread. And you look up, man, and Jason, the first three games out, we lose all three games. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Mm. And in that process, I was learning. It ain't about you, Sean. It's about these boys. You got to be here for these kids. You have to teach these kids how to deal with this person to let them know that if they work hard, they will be rewarded. So the fourth game of the year, we're playing a, a team called McAdams. And uh, I look up at McAdams. They look good. They're out there stretching and, you know, and, and they're just kind of looking at my kids like, yeah, we're about to blow these boys out. And so all of a sudden I call my guy and my guys are looking at McAdams like, oh, God, we're about to get killed. So I call my guys up to the 50-yard line and I say, guys, I want you to look at me. And they said, what's up, Coach? I said, tonight, I need you to play like me. They said, uh, what do you mean, Coach? I said, I need you to play like light-skinned brothers. And and when I said that, it kind of lights the mood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and everybody started laughing. And when I, I said, guys, I want you jumping around. I want you hollering. I want to see you having I want to see you having fun. So we went out that night, Jason, and, and God blessed that, those, that group of kids. And we won that game by about 28 points. And that was the first win of my coaching career. That year, we went on to go, uh, we went three and five that year. The year after that, we went eight and one. So and now we're starting to learn what it takes to win a little bit. The year after that, we go uh, seven and two. And, uh, and then the year after that, we go uh, seven and two again. So now we have to transition back into division play. Uh, for the first time. So we're, we're in a tough division with teams like Smithville, Biggersville, uh, Oklahoma, and, and nobody really expects a lot out of us. You know what I'm saying? But like I said, you, you cannot measure heart. And, and my guys have a lot of heart, and they have a lot of want to, and they really work hard. So that year that we go back into division, we finished 7-4, and four, and we make the playoffs for the first time in school history. It was, it was utterly amazing. And from that point on, we've been blessed the last two years. We went seven and four the year after that, seven and five, I'm sorry, and made the playoffs. Last year, we went seven and five again. We were in, I call it the SEC West of high school football <laughs> in the division with Nanawaya, Knox, Potato, Smithful, uh, Oklahoma, French Camp. I mean, it was just, it, there was no off weekend. And we finished seven and five and made the playoffs again. And uh, actually, during that time frame, Max Prep ranked us the number one team in the state. We also were ranked in the top five in the state. So God has truly blessed me to be a part of a great, a great story. And you know, being an African American coach at a predominantly white school, people would think that might be an issue. That's never been an issue because we don't really address race on my team. 
It's all about what can you do to help the family. If you can't help the family, you can't be on this team. That's, that's just kind of our way that, that we live and, and we play the game. Do you think, Coach, that there's a, a misconception about the South and primarily, let's talk about our state, Mississippi, because what you just mentioned, being an African-American head football coach at a predominantly white school, you know, it's working. Everything's working. You guys are having success. Uh, the kids play for each other. Colors never talked about. And to me, that's just a microcosm of how things, more than not, sure, there's issues everywhere. There's no doubt. But I think that your story is really, to, to me, it's it better illustrates what things really are like in this state. There's a lot of good people in this state, and there are a lot of people that they never, ever look at color because the, the cool thing about football is everyone's welcome inside the huddle, and I think you guys display that better than most. But do you think that there is a common misconception about Mississippi? I do. I do. You know, and kids don't care what you know so they know how much you care. You know, and, and I try to, as a coach, to love on all of my kids. I don't care if you're my star receiver or if you're that kid that's only getting used in practice. All kids deserve love, you know, and, and that's what kids praise. They want love. They want attention. They want to know that you care. And, and, and adults are the same way, you know. People want to know that you care about them no matter what color you are. And if you treat people the way you want to be treated, then, then this country and this world would be such a better a, such a better place. I tell people all the time, if we treated every day like it was Saturday in the fall when nobody cares who's running the football as long as my team scores a touchdown, how much better would we be? Mm. If you ever ran for office, what, no matter what the office is, I, I feel like I would vote for you in a heartbeat because what you just said is most people in Mississippi would agree with that. And we do get often a, a bad rap, but your school and that story there just illustrates, hey, it's it's all about unifying a community, unifying behind a football team, and they don't care who scores the touchdown, what color they are, what background they have. They're rooting for the team. And, you know, what's interesting about your story there, Coach, is, you know, I've always been curious how you were received and how you're still received by the parents there. What's the interaction like with the parents there? It's great. It's, it's great because, number one, the parents know I love their kids. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The, the parents know that no matter what, I've got their kids back and I want what's best for their kids. You know, another part of my story that helps me as a coach. My wife and I, over the past 10 years, we've taken in 13 kids into our own home, you know, to help. So loving kids and, and loving people, that's who God made me. You know, God gives us all a path to walk in. And I just feel like coaching, to me, is, it's not a job. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing. To be, able to, go out and, to be able to go out and help young people become more than what they thought they could be sometimes, that, that that's the ultimate goal in life for me, you know, as, as a coach and as a man. There's nothing like, you know, people say, well, coach, you, you're pretty successful. Now nah, I do. I won't know how successful I am to about 15 years after I'm done coaching. When my kids come back and they're, and they're raising kids and they're successful, 
that's when I become a successful coach. He's Coach Sean Holiday joining us. He's the head football coach at Tupelo Christian Prep in North Mississippi, joining us here on Just Saying on the KDMC guest line. There was an interesting moment that I read about a couple of seasons ago, I believe it was, Oklahoma, and you guys hooked up in a division game. And after the game, the teams gathered at midfield for a post-game prayer and you've got a photograph of that yeah. moment, and you were quoted as saying that illustrates the power of sports, and it can transcend racial and really all differences. Can you tell us about that That's moment? Right. What, do you, what do you remember most about that moment? The fact that if you look at the picture closely, it looks like you have an Oklahoma, a CCTF, Oklahoma, CCTF, and you're bringing two different demographics together. You're bringing a predominantly white school and a predominantly black school together on a green football field where nobody cared about coach. You know, I, I honestly, I don't even know, I don't even remember who won the game. Uh, all I remember about that night is the fact that we prayed with them, and from that point on, our relationship with the with the school of Oklahoma has been one of the best of, of, of all the schools that we play. When we have power that's in me, our kids, they meet together and they hang out. Uh, I actually have a player that lives in Oklahoma. And some of the players from Oklahoma school actually go to his church. So that, that just tells you the relationships and the friendships that were built out of that football game. What if we would have went out there and, and, and with chips on our shoulders because we're playing this school or that school and, and did not show the God in us and they didn't show the God in them. Those relationships off the field never would have took place. I think there's so many lessons that can be learned from – Football overall, and and we need football, high school football, college football, in my opinion, right now in this country, now more than ever, because football, what it does is it unifies, and you know this, sports overall, but there's something special about the Friday Night Lights across the South and here in Mississippi. They unify a community. They unify people. You you, you stand behind that too, don't you? uh, There's nothing like Friday Night Lights. I mean, I... I tell people all the time, when you get ready to come out of that locker room and, and, and your your family and your friends and your community and everybody is standing out there waiting on you to come out to cheer for you, uh, there, there, there's no feeling in the world like Friday night. 100% stand with that. There was a moment a couple of years ago in a game where you, you had a player – he got a penalty flag. He he drilled an opposing player well after the whistle was over with. And uh, you guys were penalized 15 yards, and you're like, hey, wh- what happened? Do you remember what that situation was uh, about? Yeah, I, well, actually, it happened twice. It oh, happened gosh. six years ago. Yeah, it happened six years ago, and then it happened last year. Uh, my son is our quarterback, and uh, I look up, and he's coming off the field. But one of his linemen has taken a guy and just slammed him into the ground. And I was like, hey, but, well, what are you doing? And he looked at me and he said, Coach, he called Kyle the N-word, and you're not going to disrespect my brother like that. Mm-hmm. Kyle's my brother, and I'm going to defend my brother. Now, mind you, of course, Kyle's black, and Cade was a white guy. So that's the kind of love that we preach and teach at, at TCPS football. It, it doesn't matter who it is. That's your brother, and if somebody offends your brother, you defend your brother. So we we, we have a band and a shirt that, that's kind of our team motto, and it's called For Him. You play for him. <laughs> you play for the guy beside you. You play for the guy in front of you, and you play for God. If you play for those people, 
nobody else matters. Whether you win, lose, or draw, nothing else matters. As long as you know you gave it your all for your brother and you did everything to make this the best team that it could possibly be and you honor God in playing that way, and that's all we can ask. What do you hope people take from your team this year when you take the field? Because you guys open the season, if I'm looking at this right, ne- next week. So what is it that you yeah. want people to to see when they see your team take the field this year and your coaching staff? Well, I, and, and I'm going to get personal for just a second, okay? We, we just lost a coach to, uh, to COVID, uh, as a matter of fact, this week. And, and he was 65 years old. His name was Rob Barnes. But if you looked at Coach Barnes, he looked like he was 40 because he did everything the right way. He, he was in shape. He ate right. He lived right. He talked right. He was, he was a, um, a, a pillar in the community here in Tupelo. And, and what I told my guys was this year, we want to do it right. We, we, we want to reflect Coach Barnes and the way we play. I want people, when they see our team, they say, you know what? Those kids at CS, they do it the right way. And if, and if, to me, that's the biggest compliment that you can ever get in, in sports and in life is when somebody says, you do things the right way. You've got to honor your, your fallen coach <laughs> with, with this season is what it sounds like, Coach. That's the plan, brother. We, we're playing for him this year. What do you think our country can learn from this story uh, about your football team and about, again, you, you talked about it earlier, about you guys would get off the bus and your coaching staff, all African-American, and then the kids would get off the bus. Early in your days at Tupelo Christian, you, you kind of get some looks kind of, okay, that's that's different. But yeah. na- now that the story, now that some pages have been written and you guys have had some success, what do you think this country could learn right now where we sit in our nation, and at this point in our, our nation's history, what do you think they could learn from you and your football team? That just love. Love that person beside you because you took the time to get to know him, not because of what you thought he or she was. Uh, get get to know somebody. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter their economic background. It doesn't matter what their parents do for a living. As, as long as you build relationships, and you work together, then you can be successful. You know, and, and like I said, that, that's what we pride ourselves on is, is we, we work hard and, and, and we love each other and, and we've developed friendships that will last a lifetime. You know, there are kids on my team that, that they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, you know. Everybody at TCPS, you know, a lot of people think, well, that's a private school and they have this and they have that and all. Everybody doesn't have that, you know. And, and but you do have some kids that you know dads are doctors and different things, and they've been blessed. But you have a lot of hardworking people at TCPS that have pulled together to help make this program and this school a success. And if we would all come together as a community and as a as a country, the things that we could do is powerful. It's kind of like my finger. I can take my index finger, Jason. And I can tap you with my index finger. Is that going to hurt you? No, it's not going to hurt you. But if I make a fist and put all five fingers together and I punch you, then I can knock you out. And that's the way we need to do in today's world. We need to stop pointing fingers and we need to come together as a fist and we can make great things happen. I don't know if I've ever heard that analogy, 
That that might be the first time I've heard that, and, that, and that's a beautiful analogy. Uh, I've heard the one about yeah. if, when you're pointing a finger at someone, you've got you know three pointing back at you. I always heard that one. Yeah. That that that's a new one. I like that one. So let's talk about your football team. So tell me some players. You you talked about your son. Tell me about mm-hmm. some players. Those of us here across the state, even across the South, need to pay attention to some players that you're you're going to depend on and lean on this year to, to have a great season. Well, I'll start on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, my middle linebacker, Tucker Huggins, he'll be a senior this year. Tucker had 110 tackles last year. We're looking at him to be the captain on that defensive side of the ball. And I feel like how Tucker goes, we'll go. Uh, Daniel Redout, he's another senior. Uh, that that really last year was his first year to play high school football. And by the end of the season, he was one of our better defensive guys or one of our better players all around. And I'm going to tell you what's funny, Jason. If you'll remember, I said my first season when it ended, we had 15 players, right? This year alone, I have 23 seniors. Oh, wow. <laughs> God is good, brother. He's increased your territory, Coach. He has increased our territory. That my, There's no doubt. So, like I said, those, those two guys right there on the defense, I'm looking for them to really step up and, and, and lead our defense. And Josh Berry, he's another guy. Josh will also be a feature on our on our offense, too, as our running back. But on the defensive side of the ball, Josh brings so much speed and, and, and quickness and, and knowledge of the defense to the game that having him on the field is, is such a blessing. And, and we missed Josh last year. He broke his collarbone in our early scrimmage. And, and missed the majority of the season. But when he got back, we became a different defense. Now, on the, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, you have uh, Noah Foster, who last year actually led the whole state of Mississippi with uh, 1,539 yards receiving and 19 touchdowns. Good gosh. So, so, yeah, Noah. And that was actually his first year to play football. So, Noah, Noah is a big play guy for us. Then you have John Avery Harris. Who had, I think John Avery was even, I think he was number three in the state of Mississippi with 81 catches. And he also had over 1,100 yards receiving. And he had, uh, I think, 15 touchdowns. So we have a lot of firepower. Like I said, Josh Berry will be our feature running back uh, this year for us. And then at quarterback, you have Kyle Holiday, uh, who was actually my son. Kyle is a, he's a three star quarterback. Uh, he, uh, he led the state last year in total yards. I think he had over 5,000 total yards last year. He threw for 3,200 and ran for another 1,400. And uh, a total combined 58 total touchdowns last year. And he was the Mississippi 1A Offensive Player of the Year. And with all of those five, that with all of that offense and defense coming back, I look for our offensive line to be our strong point. Our offensive and defensive line to be our strong point. And, and when those big guys up front are good, that just makes everybody be good. Who's the team that stands most in your way to, to having a great season this year? Uh, that'd be the Nana Wild. <laughs> they're the two eight. The I mean, the one eight defending champ two years in a row, and and they, they are they are the real deal, bro. You've got a receiver that that had fifteen hundred receiving yards last year. Who who else has that? I do. No, uh, well, not many teams have that. <laughs> but Nanawaii's got tradition. They've got tradition. They've got a great community. They've got a great coaching staff. And to be the best, you got to beat the best. And right now, Nanawaii is the best. Well, look, I'm looking forward to watching uh, this story unfold throughout the rest of this season and, and your time there at Tupelo Christian. And uh, 
you know, shout out to, to Coach Max Howell for putting us together for this interview. And I, I hope that, oh, yeah, that I hope that you'll jump back on sometime and, and we can do this again because this this is a story that, that is unique in so many ways. And and the story of your football program there at Tupelo Christian is, is one that this country, uh, this state and this country needs right now. So keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I love the well, fa- I love the faith element of it, man, giving glory and praise to God. I, I appreciate that and, and love that piece of it so so proud of what you've done there and I, and I wish you nothing but continued success well thank you so much and you know faith faith is a big part of what we do you know with, without our faith and without God no, none of this would be possible you know and we're, we're, we're in life would you see a young black man coming from IU to Mississippi go on to be the head football coach at Tupelo Christian Prep you know without without the help of God being in this that there would be no Sean Holiday and there would be no TCPS football. So we all, we always got to give credit to God. Coach, I sure appreciate it. And uh, jump back on with us sometime, would you? I sure will, brother. You just give me a holler and let me know when. He's Coach Sean Holiday. He's the head football coach at Tupelo Christian Prep. They open the season next Friday, and we will be following their story. We'll come back with more Just Saying here in a moment. Before digging in my yard, I always call 811 to have my utility lines marked to avoid service interruptions or injury. As Centerpoint Energy says, it's better to call 811 now than 911 later. And if I suspect a gas leak, I leave the area immediately on foot and call Centerpoint Energy and 911 from a safe, remote location. (laughs) Really? Centerpoint Energy invests in its infrastructure to help keep you safe. Centerpoint Energy. Always there. All right, welcome back to Just Saying. We appreciate you joining us for the first ever episode of, of hopefully dozens, if not hundreds, of these episodes. Uh, we're starting off weekly, and maybe down the road we'll we'll turn into going maybe daily. I don't know, but we'll see. Now, our guest now, he's WJTV Sports Director Noah Newman. And Noah, of course, is a friend of the Spirit Media Network in so many ways. And of course, he and Samaria and the entire crew there with WJTV 12 Sports do a fantastic job. You could catch them on the Sports Zone. How happy are you to be back doing the Sports Zone on Sunday nights? It was uh, it took a hiatus because of COVID. And now you guys are back. And I know you got to be glad to, to finally be able to talk about sports again oh my goodness yeah i mean sports for a person like me it's essentially my entire life you know it's been tough for about three or four months not being able to do our weekly sports shows you know we still had our normal sports cast but it, it was just kind of different you know there was there was no action you know i missed the action of game day going out covering a local game and then also having the wrap-up show on sunday where we kind of just go back and rehash everything that we did the entire week so it's kind of like a good recap show and I, it just feels good to have a sense of normalcy back in the sports world, you know? Normal in terms of just being able to cover it, but as far as 
college football, high school football, with all the restrictions, all the parameters. Uh, you guys kicked off this weekend with high school football coverage, obviously, uh, here in Mississippi. And and I know you want to talk about the, the Big Ten. You're, you're from Big Ten country, Ohio <laughs> State country. And I was really looking forward to seeing Ohio State play this year with Justin Fields. And let's go ahead and dive into that. Why not? I mean, because I'm curious yeah. to know what your thoughts are on that, because I want to say, I think that we align on our beliefs on that, but yeah, again, it's just it's just a mess. I mean, how, how do you view it? Uh, I think a mess is the perfect way to put it. And you, you had the parents, you know, going to Big Ten headquarters and protesting the other day. Kevin Warren, the commissioner, first year commissioner, you know, who's been pretty silent since that big decision a week ago. And yeah, you know, in my circle, I'm from Ohio, grew up an Ohio State fan. Um, all the people I talked to, they were just devastated by this news because as you said this Ohio State team I think this Buckeyes team was as loaded as the one that beat Alabama back in 2015 and went on to win the national champion so our first reaction with my older brother Keith and you know my friends from back home was we just got robbed of our shot at a national title Mm -hmm. um you know it it was just devastating news and and every day it's it's kind of it's been an emotional roller coaster you know one day it seems like oh maybe they're not done they're trying to still play you know, they're trying to get five or six other teams in the conference to play some semblance of a fall season. And then the, ne- the next day, Kevin Warren comes out and says, nope, we're not revisiting the decision. It's just, it's up and down, up and down. And then being here in SEC country, I'm going to be honest here, I feel like the kid at Christmas with no toys. Everyone's opening up their shiny new toys, training camp. You know, Ole Miss is practicing, Mississippi State's practicing. Hey, Southern Miss has been getting after it for about a month now. And, you know, my team's sitting at home. So emotionally, it, 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 it's, been, it's been a tough, uh, tough month. But I am very happy to see uh, the SEC and the ACC, Conference USA, Big 12, all of the, the six conferences still trying to play the season. Because I, I just can't picture a fall without college football. It would be really tough. So encouraged to see these uh, teams getting out there on the practice field. And, you know, hopefully they get the green light to play the season. But it, it seems like it's looking good right now. Yeah, it looks good, at least for now. You know, going back to, to the Big Ten deal, the, the thing that bothered me, Noah, was there seemed to be a lack of transparency uh, from Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, because he was peppered with some questions there at that press conference that day. That I mean, he, he backpedaled quicker than a, a defensive back for MRA, you know, uh, over the weekend, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he's back like he's backpedaling like, or like Dion back in the day, Dion Sanders. So, I mean, it, he just seemed to, to be very evasive. And I understand to a degree. I get it. You and I have been doing this for a long time, and we understand that we're going to be dodged by certain certain questions they're going to dodge them they're going to backpedal they're not going to answer I get it but this just had a different feel to it in my eyes as someone who doesn't have a dog in the fight when it comes to Big Ten football but obviously knowing a lot of people I went to high school with people that are from Ohio big Buckeye fans and they're devastated and their biggest thing is mm-hmm. we needed more transparency and we didn't get it you mentioned the deal uh, kind of the feeling about feeling like a kid at Christmas watching everybody else open their presents and you don't you don't get to open any do you feel like there was a lack of transparency from the the leadership within the big 10 oh 100% lack of transparency and yeah. even Kevin Warren came out said it himself this week that I could have handled that better. He has looked like a first-year commissioner. And in, in his defense, he was kind of handed a ticking time bomb with this whole situation 
with the pandemic and everything. Because either way, with whatever decision he made, he was going to tick off a lot of people. And also, I, I probably shouldn't say the decision that he made because it comes down to the presidents and the chancellors. You know, he's kind of, you know, he's the leader in the face of all this, but it's what those presidents decided. And like you said, no transparency. You know, we haven't heard what, was there a vote? You know, what was the vote? Why did they vote this way? I think that's why the Pac-12 hasn't taken as much heat because they came out very transparent. I don't have the attention span to read everything that they put out there, but just document after document after document about why they made their decision. And we didn't get that from the Big Ten really right away. I mean, we had to wait over an entire week until Warren finally came out and said, you know, explained their decision and that they weren't revisiting the decision. And so he 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 definitely learned a, a PR lesson the hard way in his first year as commissioner. And, and another big storyline, too, is, I'm sure you know that his son plays for Mississippi State. So I think that <laughs> right. a lot of people and a lot of players and Big Ten fans are like, well, wait a minute, you said it's not safe for the players in your conference to play, but your son's playing. Is it not safe for him to play? But it, it's just, it's a mess. You described it perfectly. It, it is a mess. I don't know how else to describe it. I hate it for you guys because, like we said, I mean, Ohio State, they were – they're loaded. And, I mean, this could be the year where they're the new Clemson. They go on a little bit of a run, at least, because they, they do have a lot of talent. They always do. And I don't know. I, I just got the vibe, and maybe this is, I don't know, reading through, you know how Twitter is. But I just got this mm-hmm. this vibe, it felt like, or this feeling that many of the other Power Five uh, commissioners were maybe kind of a little pissed that the Big Ten went out ahead of them. And, and went ahead and announced the conference schedule. They were the first ones to do it, and there seemed to yep. be a lot of a lot of chatter about, hey, we were going to do this together. We're, we're going to stick together. We're going to be unified, the Power Five. We're going to fall lock and step with each other to a degree, to a certain degree, and, and Greg Sankey with the SEC has made that clear, but there seemed to be, I don't know, there seemed to be a little bit of tension between the Power Five commissioners when the Big Ten came out with the conference schedule first, and I think that just, I don't know, I think that just muddied the waters for any any sort of cooperation between uh, the, the Power Five. And, I, you know, I know stuff goes on behind closed doors, I get it, but that just seemed to be one of the things that, that I saw. Now, having said that, like you said with Warren, he just inherited a mess. You can't put that on him too much. I mean, this COVID thing has made life difficult for everybody, but I just felt oh, like, yeah. I don't know, maybe he ticked the rest of the conference commissioners off with, I mean, did you pick up any sense of that? Yes. Actually, it's funny you brought this up because this was one of my first uh, thoughts and reaction when I saw the initial report that the Big Ten was thinking about postponing slash canceling, however you want to say it, the season. When that initial report came out, it was um, it was kind of framed as the Big Ten wanted to wait to officially announce it because they wanted to get everyone else on board. And my first thought was, well, wait a minute. <laughs> when you guys announced that you were doing a conference-only season, you jumped out ahead of them. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you know, wait for them to make a unified decision. So I knew right away, uh, no, they're not going to do that. If anything, even if they don't play a season, they're going to march forward and they're going to they're going to crush the Big Ten in, in optics. I think they're trying to make the Big Ten. They won't come out and say this, obviously, but I think they are in a way trying to make the Big Ten look as bad as possible right now. Because end of the day, even if you know they don't go on and get to Week One and and they they aren't able to kick off. They could still sell their recruits and their fan base. Hey, we did everything we could to try. They shut it down early. We tried. You know, we got a ton of extra practice in. And uh, I think right now that's part of it. I think there was some tension there that the Big Ten kind of jumped out and did their own thing with the conference schedule. So 
you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna be unified with you on this. You know, you did your own thing, so sorry, that's that's the way it's gonna be. He's Noah Newman. He's the sports director for WJTV News Channel 12 here in Jackson, Mississippi, joining us on the KDMC guest line. So let's switch to the SEC because when you and I were talking a while back, you know, before all the COVID stuff happened, and it never will be too soon if I never hear that word again. But uh, no. yeah, Kiffin gets announced as head coach at Ole Miss. And then a couple of weeks later, You've got, or a few weeks later, you've got Mike Leach coming to Startville to accept the head coaching position with Mississippi State. We're thinking, wow, both of those guys in the same state, uh, the Egg Bowl just got, we didn't think it could get more interesting than how the game ended last year. Um, and then yeah. Kiffin, he put Kiffin and Leach in the mix now. So let's say that the, the season plays out. Let's say that we do play football here in the South in the Southeastern Conference, State and Ole Miss. They both, we, we finished the season. Where do you see both of these teams based on, you know, your interactions with the coaches, your coverage, and your insight? Just where do you see both of these teams ending up? Because both of them now with all-conference games, you, you don't have any – cupcakes so to speak i mean no disrespect but you don't have any you know non-conference games to kind of warm up with i mean right out of the gate i mean you're playing some tough games every single week so where do you see both of these teams old miss and mississippi state this season yeah i think the schedule is a big factor here they're playing and mike leach brought up a good point he thinks it's the for for all of for all the teams in sec it's the toughest schedule in the history of college football because you don't have any of those cupcakes and you look at all all of the four first year coaches they got to play top 10 teams in week one. So I think the schedule is a big factor. But I really like the talent that Mississippi State and Ole Miss both have. And I think in a way, um, some of these stadiums not being allowed to have 100% capacity, hey, you know who that helps, in my opinion? The underdog, right? Because yeah. you have to deal with that hostile environment. So maybe that levels the playing field a little bit. And Mississippi State and Ole Miss pick up a win or two extra than you would initially predict them to. I, I kind of do think them see them both being middle of the pack maybe four five six wins only because that schedule is so hard and it's especially difficult for a first year coach to come in in a year like this when you don't have spring ball you've got to cram all these practices and and your new system especially like for mike for mike leach he said in his press conference the other day i don't know if he's sandbagging us or not but he said that he is going to have to dial it back a little bit with the playbook and they will be limited with what they can do now again like i said he might just be saying that because I think KJ Castello is a very intelligent veteran quarterback who could handle that a lot of that playbook probably. But that's that's a, they're definitely at a disadvantage there being in being first year coaches in a year like this. But I I think they have a lot of talent when you look at Ole Miss. I think Jerry Neely could be one of the top playmakers in the SEC. He's tremendous. Uh, Mississippi State they have an experienced quarterback in KJ Castello. You have uh, Kylan Hill coming back. So the pieces are there for both teams. It's just that schedule is the elephant in the room. I mean, that's, the schedule's so tough. So I could see the Egg Bowl when they meet in the Egg Bowl, which oddly enough is not the last game of the year for these teams. I think first time since 2001. I could see both of them hovering around four, five wins maybe when they get to that point. Just a difficult road for both these teams when you look at the schedule. I still think that maybe both Ole Miss and State, they, they knock off someone that – they're not supposed to. That no one expects them to. Just given Leach and Kiffin and the way that they can, I don't know, just pull a rabbit out of the hat, for, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, they could just they can work some magic late in games, and 
and the confidence that both of those guys possess, it's, it's amazing. I do think that, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong on y'all show a hundred times, but <laughs> I think that <laughs> you, you and I need to stop picking games. I think, well, well you, you've done a whole lot better than me over the last couple of years, ever since, you know, we started our partnership with, with channel 12. I mean, every time I come on, I, I get a game wrong. You guys, you know, beat the brakes off of me when it comes to picking games. I'm, I'm terrible at picking games, oh, but. You know, that happens, though. We have the courage to put ourselves out there. And, hey, in, in baseball, you, you hit 300, you're a, you're a Hall of Famer. So, you know, I'd say we're hitting above 300 right now. Oh, man. We do need to do a pick'em this year. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that the other day, and, and someone said, you need to do a pick'em with some of your uh, some of your friends in media. And I was like, I would get annihilated. I do every year. I, I did it for the paper a couple of years ago, and I think I was, you know, to borrow your phrase, middle of the pack, oh. give or take. Yeah, I, I did okay. 100%. I think we should do a pick And here's my first early, way too early bold prediction. <laughs> Mississippi State covers at LSU and potentially flirts Whoa. with an upset. Whoa. Like I said, it's, it, it's going to be a weird season. It's, weird things are going to happen, so why not have something weird happen right out of the gate? Why not? Noah Newman, you heard it here first, says that State will cover <laughs> – at Baton Rouge to kick off the SEC schedule, you know, and and I and I look at LSU, you know, they're going to be down a little bit. Alabama is a bit, of, they're going to be Alabama. They're a bit of a mystery because they're replacing uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa and, and that the majority of that receiver core that they had at Alabama and their defense was suspect last year, and I feel like they will be, they'll be better this year, but they'll still be a, a bit suspect. A and M. Good gosh, they've got to win some games with all the money they're paying Jimbo. And uh, the, the West just looks extremely interesting to me. The East, I think it comes down to, I mean, I really think Kentucky's going to surprise some people, but I still think it comes down to Florida and Georgia. Do you kind of you kind of follow with that, that same analysis? Yeah, I think I, I pretty much agree with you there. I think Kentucky, this could be the best team they've had in a long time. They're very dangerous here. Florida, it always seems like their offense is a little underwhelming, doesn't it? So, mm, yeah. So, and, and, unless I'm just misremembering things, it always seems like their offense is a little disappointing. If they can get the offense together, yeah, Florida's, Florida's loaded. Georgia's loaded. I, I really like Auburn this year, too. Auburn's loaded. Mm. Um, LSU replacing a lot of people, but they'll still be pretty tough. Uh, I think I pretty much agree with that, though. I think Florida, Georgia, those are probably the – and Kentucky, keep an eye on Kentucky. Keep an eye on Kentucky. Yeah, I think it's opening weekend that they play at Auburn, I believe. So that could be a, a test for, for Auburn right out of the gate. So tell me the biggest challenge for you guys. You and I have kind of talked about it a little bit on text and whatnot, but you guys have had some challenges there like like everyone else. But what's been the biggest challenge for you in finding content, finding something to talk about, filling filling that time on 6 and 10 p.m. reports. I mean, you, you guys still have to, to give a report. And when there's no sports going on, it makes it extremely difficult for guys like us and, and gals like Samaria and so on and so forth. So w- what's been the biggest challenge for you as sports director during this entire time, during this whole COVID pandemic? Well, the biggest challenge is you really, it really puts your creativity and enterprising skills to the test. I'll say about my coworkers, uh, Haley and Samaria, they're great enterprisers, you know, just digging out stories that no one really thinks to pursue. So, and, and that since it's kind of worked to our advantage, but I mean, every day you wake up and you're just, you're thinking, what am I going to do today? Who could I interview? What's the potential story out there? Whereas, you know, usually a sports market like this, in a normal year, the show pretty much writes itself. You have so much going on and so many teams to cover, but when everything shuts down, it's a big challenge. And here's another thing. 
you also run into a wall in terms of people that are willing to talk to you. Because I think a lot of people right now, in some ways, and I understand why they think this, they, they think the media, you know, we're COVID police. You know, we're out there to, you know, bust them for not socially distancing. Or, you know, I, I think people are just sick of talking about COVID. So I think that's another <laughs> thing you have to convince a lot of your the people you're interviewing that we're not here to talk about COVID. We're here to talk about your team, player stories, uh, schedule coming up. And there's, there's actually one school district that uh, is not letting us interview any coaches or players right now. Wow. So challenge. Cause we, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I won't name them, but and I can understand why it's, I guess it's a PR thing, but there's one district uh, where right now they say, uh, they say no coach interviews at this time. You can come out and get video of our practices, but you can't interview a coach. So that's a challenge because that this district that, that kind of wipes out. I think there's like nine schools in the district, so there's nine schools right there. We can't really preview the way we want to. JPS canceled all their fall sports. Boom, right there. That's what six, seven schools right in the heart of our coverage area. They're wiped mm. out. So there, there's a lot of challenges that come along with it. But bottom line is, you just got to get a little creative. And one thing we do is we we do a golf segment during the summer where we go out and play the most challenging holes. I think that's a fun little segment to kind of fill the void of not having sports. So it really does, really does challenge you. Uh, I'll say this: I'm glad that we have some games, you know, firing back up in terms of high school and hopefully college here in a couple weeks. So it's been a challenge. 2020 has been the biggest challenge of my broadcasting career, easily. He's Noah Newman, news. Or why do I keep calling you news director? Are you are you getting a promotion (laughs) that I don't know about? Thank goodness I'm not the news director because I would not want to deal with. not want to deal with all the egos in the newsroom and politics and all that. So I no, I'm, I'm not up for that job. Oh, I'm still in preseason form. Apparently, I, I saw a picture of Deion Sanders at the MRA game, and and I said it looks like he's wearing. I meant to spell out copper fit, and I said Cooper fit. And then I said, then, then, then I recommented, recommented. I, I commented on my own post, and I said, "Sorry, guys, I meant copper fit, C O P P E R." I'm apparently still in preseason form, so trying to shake off the rust a little bit. But we all are. I had an idea that, depending on what they do with with folks like you and I and Samaria and Haley and some of our friends here in Jackson and just across the state, what they do with media in terms of covering college athletics, college football. I'm still I'm still wondering how that's going to look, how that's going to work out for, yeah. for folks that write or with a camera or that do radio or podcast or whatever. So I had an idea. If we are restricted in terms of covering covering these games in person to a degree, because they, they could do a deal where they put you like on a pitch count, how many games you get to cover. They may rotate people out. Yeah. I've, I've heard that thrown around. So oh, man. if there's a Saturday where maybe they're not allowing anybody to, to, to come and cover the games, maybe both Mississippi State and Ole Miss are out of town, Southern Miss is out of town, maybe you catch that weekend. I think we should have a media cornhole tournament with the games on at a particular location oh. and just making an event. Folks from from JTV, from some of your competitors, from some of my competitors, and say, hey, let's just all get together, have a cornhole tournament. We'll video stream it. We'll do whatever. We'll put it on Twitter, Facebook, and just have some fun. I mean, watch some football, get together. Oh Why not? Yeah, a media watch party. Yeah. yeah, ESPN kind of does that with like national championship games, big games. They'll have a bunch of personalities in a room, and they'll just be you know eating chips, having some alcoholic beverages, and just watching the game. See, I, that would be a blast. I think that's a genius idea. Sign me up for that. I'm always down for a cornhole competition as well. But yes, going back to that, that that's my big worry right now. So we have 
our first local game of the year, Southern Miss, less than two weeks away, and we still don't know what the plan is for media, what we're going to be allowed to do. It wouldn't shock me if they restrict our sideline access. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just have like a pool photographer, like a pool photographer, and they just see the highlights. Uh, we'll see. I- I'd be shocked if we ever interview any players or coaches in person this season. It's probably going to all be Zoom, right? Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I would think so, because that seems to be kind of where everything is leaning. Of course, I've got opinions on that, but they don't ask me. I'm just I'm just a guy yeah. that, that covers the, these games and these these athletes and coaches. But to me. I would rather be I would rather be in person. I, obviously all of us would be because you're there, you're 3 feet away from them whatever it is and you you play yeah. off the facial reactions and so on and so forth. So I don't know the the Zoom calls that's I hate those, but that those are the times that we're I, in, right? Yeah, I agree. I think you do lose a lot with the Zoom, especially when it comes to the player and coach availability. Sometimes it can be hard to hear, you know, it's just I don't know, you know, we're human beings. We're meant to interact face to face. You know, we're not we're not meant to be, uh, you know, walking around just everyone's a screen instead of a face, you know. So it's it's different. It's been a big adjustment. The one good thing about Zoom is you can, I guess, if there's someone up in Starkville and you're in Jackson, it, it is easy to interview them. Uh, but other than that, I, it, you'd much rather prefer, you know, in person a press conference or some way they can maybe socially distance a press conference. I would think that would be doable. They, I mean, these schools have some massive rooms. You see the, the Ole Miss meeting room is just massive I mean, you could easily socially distance all the media there so yeah we'll see it's, it's going to be an interesting fall so what is it that that you've done to kind of stay sane during this time i know that i know you're uh you're a big fan of, of binge watching certain shows yeah I'm, I'm finishing up the office right now and you know i'd watched it over the years but i've never finished it some of the process of finishing it oh man yeah when michael scott left i don't know maybe that's just me when he left it just kind of just kind of tanked a little bit a hundred percent agree i really? saw your andy bernard take too on social media i'm a huge office fan andy bernard's character um evolution is fascinating he starts out as the guy that you just absolutely hate and then he kind of just evolves and he's supposed to be you know one of the more likable characters but he's really not that likable so he's he definitely does not make my top five character power rankings but character power rankings Michael Scott's easily number one. I mean, he's, he's the Michael Jordan of the show. Just, there's no office without Michael Scott. So I agree, the show drops off big time after, spoiler alert, Michael Scott leaves. <laughs> um, but, you know, Dwight, Jim, uh, I'm a big fan of Aaron. She's funny. Uh, just so many great characters. Stanley, it, that's one of the all-time shows. That's, that's a good one to binge watch if you've never seen it before. So is that how you rank your, your your top five on the offices? It's Michael Scott, obviously number one. So is it is it Dwight yeah. behind him or is it Jim? Okay, I think we're going Michael Scott one. Yeah, I think two. I think two has to be Dwight, but it's really close. Two Ooh. Dwight, um, three Jim. We'll go four Aaron. I'm a big Aaron fan. Uh, five. Now who gets that five spot? I think that that might have to be. That might be Stanley, I think. It's, really? It's close, though. There's, a, there's, there's so many great... Did you get to the uh, Did I Stutter episode yet with Stanley? Yes. Yes. That's a heated episode, and I think Michael Scott really shines in that episode. That's one of Michael Scott's best moments, the way he handles that whole situation in the very end of the episode. Yeah, I'm on the last season, okay. so... Yeah. Great finale. They wrap it up really well. It gets bumpy in those final few seasons. Robert California and... Some of the other characters, they, the Will Ferrell character was a bust, in my opinion. Yes, I mean, he was kind of a bust. Yeah, you, know, you figure Will Ferrell, oh, this is gonna be amazing, and then he just 
didn't quite click with the show, uh, but it, it wraps up really nicely. It's a, it's a good payoff in the finale. You'll enjoy it. The Bernard character just has always bothered me. He's this spoiled, entitled <laughs> jerk, and he just he's constantly, you know, um, he's constantly getting himself in these positions that I'm like, you're getting in that spot because you're a jerk. I mean, that's why you're in that spot. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert for, for those that are listening, just tune away right now if you haven't gotten into the final season. But he leaves Aaron for three months on a boat and then comes back. Yeah, and what he's, was that all about? What are you doing? Like, if you've seen her, like, I'm a big Aaron fan, too. Love Aaron. When, yeah. Like, I really felt right. like from the first season that she appeared – and then to the next season, man, her character really grew, really grew. And I'm like, oh, yeah. what, what are you doing? You're, have you seen her? You're leaving her for three months to go with your, your brother who just got out of rehab to go on a boat for three months and, and you leave her. You don't even think about saying, Hey, you want to come along? And then you come back and you're shocked that she's digging this other dude, Pete. So I just, I'm not a big yeah. Bernard guy yeah. at all, at all. I thought that was pretty bad what he did, how he did leave Aaron like that. I, Yeah, what they did with the characters was kind of strange in those final few seasons. Also, they tried to make it seem like Pam was maybe being unfaithful to Jim. Pam's character takes a hit kind of in those final few seasons. So I think it suffered from being on the air a little too long. Uh, Like I said, though, they found a way to wrap it up pretty nicely, which is usually challenging to do. It's usually hard to have a good series finale. The Seinfeld finale was... Um, a little underwhelming in my opinion. Yes. Uh, apparently How I Met Your Mother. I, I've never gotten into How I Met Your Mother, but people say that finale was horrible. So it's hard to have a good finale for a great show, but The Office, they pulled it off in the end. Can we give consideration to the number five spot, like maybe 5B, maybe Kevin? Kevin! I forgot about Kevin. Okay, yeah, he's he's got to be up there. He's 5B, I'd say. I mean, the, the stuff that he would do and that he would say, it's just his expressions. I would, you know, they, they kind of treat him like, well, kind of the character that he is, you know, on the show. Kind of a, <laughs> not a very bright yeah. person at times, you know. The, so they, they treat him the way that, that you expect him to treat that character. But the guy that plays, Brian, uh, what is it, Baumgartner or something like that? The guy that plays that plays Kevin, he plays it to a T. Yeah. So I, I always like Kevin's character. Yeah. I, I liked Robert California. When he was when he made the appearance on the show, I just I liked his character because uh, he was just I don't know so offensive. Sometimes he would make people uncomfortable, <laughs> and I, and I like that for some reason. Yeah, that, I don't know why. That's what that, yeah, that's what that show's all about: making people uncomfortable, awkward moments in life. That's what makes that show really, you know, that's what makes that show memorable. He's he's bad. He was better than Will Ferrell's character. Better than D'Angelo Vickers. Yeah, that that was such a bust. I hate I hated when he when he came on the show, be honest, because it was just, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't even funny. You expect Will Ferrell no. to be funny. He wasn't even funny to me. Yeah, I was surprising. Uh, there were a couple of things he did that made me laugh, like the whole juggling thing. That was probably the only time he really <laughs> made me laugh. Uh, other than that, though, it, it, disappointment, because you, you figure Will Ferrell plus the office, like that equation, you figure that would equal magic, but yeah. it just didn't work out. So sometimes, sometimes the chemistry is just not there again. I don't know. So what are you binge before I let you go, what are you binge watching right now? You got anything uh in the hopper that you're you're binge watching? Oh yeah. So right now I'm actually binge watching a show called Friday Night Type on Netflix. It is fascinating. It is about youth football in Texas. It is a uh it's reality. It's like a sports doc documentary, kind of like a kind of like hard knocks meets last chance you 
but it's about youth football. And the parents and the coaches of these youth football teams are just absolutely intense. And the storylines that come out, you would never imagine youth football being this serious and this big of a deal. And you will be hooked on this show. I, I highly recommend Friday Night Tykes on Netflix. You'll binge watch all four seasons. And if, if, it's a show that kind of follows five to six to seven teams in this in TIFA, Texas Youth Football Association. And it follows those teams, and you get the play-by-play on game day and coach stories about coaches and parents. And it's just fascinating. It's, it's, a, it's a really good watch. I highly recommend that. Well, look, I just want to take a minute to, to say how thankful I am personally for the partnership with, with News Channel 12, with JTV Sports, uh, and, and hopping on the Sports Zone when, whenever I get a chance. So um, I'm thankful for you guys, thankful for your friendship and, and your partnership. And uh, y'all keep up the good work, man. We finally got high school football back in Mississippi, so I'll be watching. I watched last night, so as things continue to crank up here, uh, hopefully we'll have college football to add to our coverage as well. So. Hope you'll come back on the podcast sometimes, man. Oh, absolutely. This was a blast. I mean, I could talk sports all day. And I'm thankful for you as well. I mean, you were one of the first people to reach out to me when I first moved here to Jackson. Uh, you welcomed me to the city and you said, you know, you said anything I needed, feel free to ask. You kind of gave me some information about all the schools and the teams. So you were really kind and really helpful. And you've been that way since I've been here. And yeah, we have to have you on the Sports Zone show here coming up soon. And uh, hopefully if we do a college show as well, depending on what happens with the season. Anytime you want to come on, you're welcome. So, yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. He's Noah Newman. He is sports director, not news director, sports director with News Channel 12. (laughs) We take a break, come back with more, just saying in a moment. During times of uncertainty, it's comforting to know we have a healthcare system in our community that's been committed to supporting us for well over a century. In this current time, we are standing together, and our bond is stronger than ever. KDMC, caring for our community like no one else can. Have a topic you'd like discussed on Just Saying? Shoot Jason an email. It's really that simple. Jason at spiritmedianet.com. You never know when your topic or even you may make an appearance on the show. Now, let's roll on here on Just Saying. Well, what a great opening episode. I mean, you just never know who's going to stop by here on Just Saying. And so let me thank our guests before I round out this show. Special thanks to uh, Blair Bias, of course, for hanging out with me, co-hosting the show. She'll be back uh, pretty much every week. So I uh, appreciate Blair. Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel joined us earlier. appreciate him doing that. Uh, we were also chatting with Neil McCready with rebelgrove.com, part of the Rivals Network, giving some pretty strong opinions on college football and just where we are in this world. Noah Newman, the not news director, sports director with WJTV News Channel 12 here in Jackson, Mississippi. Shane Holiday, the head football coach at Tupelo Christian uh, up in North Mississippi. Great story, and uh, I encourage you to check out his interview as well. So, as we close, hope you'll be back here every week. The plan is to have a new podcast up every Tuesday, uh, hopefully by the morning, maybe the afternoon. And don't forget, you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, the TuneIn Radio app. And we encourage you to share the podcast as well. So, 
We are believers here on the Spirit Media Network, and I have been extremely fortunate in my career to walk through the doors that God has opened for me. So I'm very outspoken about it. I've never changed that. I'm not going to change that now. If you really believe in something, you're going to be outspoken about it. So so I want to share a scripture with you. For today, you must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. That's out of Deuteronomy 10, verses 20 through 21. So always remember, God's got you. He loves you. He sees you. He's got you. Never forget that. I appreciate you tuning in to Just Saying. Episode 1, Episode 2 is back next week. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time around.